am Joel McLeod. I'm Roland Tana. And welcome to the 905 Roundup, uh, our Thursday episode for the 905 for Podcast. Great to have you with us uh, today. We've got big news to share with everyone. Uh, do you know what the big news is, Roland? Uh, tell me, Joel. Tell me. Uh, I'm sitting here with bated breath. You should. I told you. I told you yesterday. No, we, <laughs> we cracked uh, uh, ten thousand downloads uh, for this little old podcast that could. Which, um, yeah, I mean, we we, we, we knew we were going to get there, but we didn't expect it, it would take less than a, just under a year to do it. Yeah, yeah, and we're coming up on. Well, we're coming up on our 90th episode, and 100 is not very far away. So it's amazing how much we've managed to pack into a year. So it's yeah. I mean, thanks everybody who's who's been listening and downloading, and um, uh, really appreciate the support we've had. And and I guess the thing we keep on wanting to say is, you know, this is just the beginning. You know, starting in the middle of a uh, global pandemic when we couldn't leave the house um, certainly wasn't an ideal situation to start anything very much um but uh i think it's given in some ways it's given us a, a um it's given us a lot to talk about that's for sure oh no doubt no doubt <laughs> no, no shortage of stories um but it's also i, I think given us time to sort of learn the ropes of the thing and um and think about some ways in which we can uh hopefully grow and expand and become uh, a, a kind of fixture of of the community in our part of the GTA uh, would be nice to see over the next year if we're if we're allowed out anytime well, soon. That, I mean, we, we've talked. You and I have talked uh, uh, off off the uh, recorder, just talking about the idea of doing like live shows and just getting out to actually meet people who are listening to the to the podcast was a big thing. We we weren't able to do it obviously because of COVID restriction, but that appears to be coming to an end or at least more a uh, little bit uh, less strict so we're hoping that definitely within the next year to uh, maybe get out to some of the other communities in the in the 905 we've had a few invitations from uh, previous guests to show us their their haunts and their their neck of the woods and we definitely want to take them up on the offer uh, because it, yeah I mean it, it the 905 is such a, a diverse but unique part of Ontario and a part of Canada that you know, we, we we always say that we're we're very similar, but we're also very unique at the same at the same time. Uh, and we we kind of want to keep bringing those, those stories to to all of you. Uh, if again, if you keep listening and help support us, you know, go go to our Patreon, give us a a little bit of your mi- money, a little bit of your time, and we'll help uh we'll help us grow this into a, a bigger uh, a bigger more impactful presence in the nine hundred five region. For sure, yeah, and uh, yep, consider. Consider Patreon. Consider supporting us in whatever way. Make sure you tell your friends, and you know, and just as an illustration of, of the importance of well, the importance of the stories we're covering. I mean, and we're you know, in our Thursday roundup, we're usually talking about stories that other people have have been the journalists on, you know, and we're 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 just sharing them, making sure everybody's heard about them, having a bit of a discussion around them. But you know, the two issues we're going to be talking about today are. And not things that you're really going to find in in the in the national news, and but you're not going to find them in the local news news either. In, in many cases, maybe in the Spectator, but not in the you know to pick a random Burlington Post. Um, uh, and they're important. They're both really important stories uh, mm. that say a lot about our region and the way it is 
changing and and some of the problems that we have that you know would certainly make comes to local government just doesn't seem to get enough attention some really huge issues there that are systemic across our region that are not getting attention and uh well the one thing that you and i have noticed is there are systemic issues but they're also overlapping issues you know we all everybody wants to think they're all in these different silos and everyone's so unique and and we have to have completely different uh solutions to problems and really the the that I, I found that that only helps kind of those in power because uh, it's easy to say, no, nope, the problem is too big. We can't, we can't solve it when really it's not, it, you know, these, the problems that we have that we're facing in our community communities are eminently solvable. It just, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the powers that be don't want to take action or, or to put, put forward the work that does it. And it might take, you know, you just, you need to have a little bit of coordination, a little bit of, power and a little bit of gumption to you know shake the uh shake the powers that be i guess is the best way to put it yeah i mean i, I well i think a, a, a perennial issue is the slowness of municipal government as a means of achieving positive change that that, that really needs to happen and that in other parts of the world has, has been agreed upon decided and you know so we, we lag behind and we, we lag behind, I think, in part because it's just not a job that attracts the best people, um, to be quite frank. Um, uh, or, or some of the, some of the people who are decent, um, don't stick around too long because, um, they either go up the tree or they go and decide to do something else better paid. Um, and, the end result is because we're not paying attention as a society to local politics. We're paying attention to Ottawa when nothing's happening that really affects us most of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, the, these, these local governments can really, some of them can really get out of hand. And, I, and I'm yet to find a, 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 in the 905 at least, a, a local council that anybody seems to feel is completely working the way it should. Uh, and, you know, politics always attracts uh, criticism. So maybe that's just not something that's ever going to happen, even with the best local government in the world. But, you know, but, but, but it not, seems the, not, the level not, of. On that note, Roland, like criticism is part of politics. We're in a democracy. It's our right to criticize our elected leaders. And quite frankly, if you can't, if you can't handle criticism, then you should not be running for, for uh, elected office. I agree with what I agree with what you're saying that there's there seems to be a lack of uh, you know just I, I'm going to say ambition uh, at the local level. You know, you and I have talked about numerous times over the past year about how COVID has presented real opportunity for systemic change to address some long-standing issues in our in our society: uh, uh, sustainable housing, social housing. Uh, you know, transportation, commuting, work-life balance, all those things that make up life in the 905. We've, we, we've looked at the, coming out of this, uh, out of this pandemic, there's a real opportunity to say, Hey, you know what? People, maybe people are willing to tweak around the edges if we can provide, you know, a better work-life balance. We don't have to go all go commuting. We can maybe give, land developers or, or landlords a break and say, yeah, convert some of your, your units into uh, residential units, social housing, whatever have you. Um, and I think you, you mentioned it in the last episode, 
there's just doesn't seem to be any politician at any, any level who's really talking about this in any meaningful way, which I think is just sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think, I think we as a society need to start taking local politics a lot more seriously. How we do that when we, uh, our media concentrates on the wrong things, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a longstanding issue that you know, we pay attention to politics and reverse proportion to how much it affects our daily life. Mm -hmm. For some reason, Ottawa just is, is we're all obsessed with Ottawa. I mean, I'm not actually, but, but on TV and, and in the newspapers, that's where all the discussion is. Yeah, you know, I mean, the uh, recent stories, you're talking about the CRTC, that's not something that affects me. Well, maybe it will affect me one day, but, but as a rule, the average person, that's not a life and death right. situation. Whereas a hospital, if it's provincial or, you know, um, any number of things at a local level, you know, surfacing on your roads, that these things that well, you... I'll, I'll be honest, I think, it, I think it's a bit of laziness on the media's part. I mean, it's easy to... I mean, right now, everybody's talking about, oh, there might be a federal election. Justin Trudeau might call an election. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it right now, people. No, he's not. We're, we're not having a federal election anytime soon. And do you want to know why? Because why? He's effectively running everything in in Ottawa as if it's a majority par parliament nobody the conservatives are not going to take him down they're they're more pop they're you know I, the, dirt is more popular than the conservatives right now in Canada the NDP do not have any momentum whatsoever they have no money in the bank nobody is going to an election but yet the federal the the mainstream media makes us think oh any minute now any minute now, Justin Trudeau is going to call an election, and we're all going and to be, mar, mar, you know, knocking on door. There, everybody's going to be knocking on doors. It's not happening. Like, there's just to me, there's no reason to do it. I mean, may, maybe the Conservatives or the NDP will trigger an election and bring it down. Maybe, but if that's the case, they will be crucified at the polls. Well, yeah, I think whoever whoever seems to be the rule that whoever triggers the election pays. Um, and, and right now it's the liberals who would, who would be the ones triggering it. Um, but it's just laziness. Rather, rather, I mean, than, right, yeah. rather than talk about the issues that affect us on a day-to-day -day life, things of, you know, like how are our cities built? How, how do we, how is transportation being, you know, affecting our, our lives? How do, how are we able to get around? How are, how are we able to live? Those are, those are more complex stories. And I think they're just, it's just part of partly being lazy to say, let's, you know, let's actually talk about it. What are the issues? Yeah. Well, coming back to um, good old Hamilton for a, for a bit, um, some updates on. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I'm getting sick of talking about statues because, because, and in fact, the only reason we have talked about statues to an extent to say, we should be caring about other things, not statues. But here we are. Hamilton had a debate last week about its statue of John A. Macdonald in uh, Gage Park in central Hamilton. Um, and uh, it was uh, a vote. Uh, the, the vote was to not to do anything until a report, which is already underway, kind of reports back. Um, now, the... Uh, a number of councillors, obviously a minority, suggested that maybe the wise thing to do was to, you know, remove the statue while that report was going on. Uh, but no, and I think I think that kind of excuse for why they weren't willing to do anything was, was very much 
an excuse on behalf of the more, um, well, as I say, conservative, whether it's small C or big C, uh, members of Hamilton Council. Um, so, for instance, um, everybody's favourite councillor from Waterdown, um, uh, yeah, Judy Partridge lamented the shaming and blaming levelled via social media. Well, so she doesn't like the fact that people are talking about um, things on social media ahead of votes. Well, too bad. And you know what? People are going to be critical because we're talking about genocide. <laughs> when will these people get through the head, the scale of what is being said? And I think it's, I don't think they believe it's genocide because they think, they think Nazi Germany, they think Auschwitz as being the only way in which genocide can exist. And that's just not the case. That's not the definition of the word. Never has been. Partridge also said she needed to have the facts. Um, well, what more facts do you need? Um, uh, I mean, the, the facts are that, that these statues are, are objectionable to uh, a section of society who right now deserves to be given a lot of uh, uh, understanding and credence. You know, like I, I, I don't, I've never understood. We've, you're right. We've talked about statues probably way too often on this podcast. That to the point where it's, it's, it, it is exhausting that this, this conversation is still going on, and yet. It, you you just have to wonder like why 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 are you so what who's so passionate about keeping the statue up, right? Like what why? And I, I we talked about this before coming on the fact that a, a racist of you know a, a far right racist organizer was able to sneak his way onto the speaking list and to speak in favor of keeping this. Um, like it, like this, right, right then and there. I'd be like, I was, if I was a counselor, I'd sit there going, I don't want to be associated with this guy. I, there's no way I want this guy to use my, my name or my vote to defend his point of view. Like I, I just, I just sit there. Like the minute that you have this, I forget the, forget how this guy snuck on him because I understand that he. My understanding of this situation is he listed a name. And then he basically said he was speaking to the opposite. He was going to speak in favor of taking the statue down. And they stuck on. He gave this whole thing. And to give, I, I watched some of the the, the debate at City Hall. Uh, and to give counselors credit, there were some counselors saying, "How do we strip this from the record? Too bad it's on there. You can't." Um, but like, just if you're a counselor, and you're like, "Oh, maybe we should. Maybe we should." The minute you have a guy who is a known far right racist neo-nazi sympathizer why why would you want to be on the same side as him that's my question well yeah and the argument was that by removing it it would become a symbol for white supremacists well well here's the news it's already a symbol for white supremacists sadly you know i i it is now you know for better or worse these statues have now become rallying points for far-right extremists uh so taking it down is 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 the way to take that away, and then it's gone, uh, and it can't you can't have a rallying point that doesn't exist. Uh, um, I just want to point out that the level of the debate that happens in councils like Hamilton, we've got Mayor Fry, Mayor Fred Eisenberger saying um, opposing taking it down at the same time as he says, oh, "I'm not particularly married to Sir John A. Macdonald. I've never met the man." Well, no. <laughs> I hear he's a drunk and in his day was a bumbling fool on many occasions. Again, 
you don't even you're defend people are defending the statue know nothing about the man i mean yeah he did drink a lot at one point in his life not his whole life but for a period in his life was he a bumbling fool no he wasn't he was a very smart ruthless man one of the most effective politicians probably that canada has ever had if you that think doesn't mean you think he wasn't it, he, an evil genocidal creator of the residential school if you think about it like he he managed to get both english and french governments and other provinces in Canada at the time to go to hat in hand to the British and say, hey, give us a country. Britain was a superpower at the time. We're not talking, you know, a little, you know, I mean, like, times are very different. It, he, they give the guy credit. He knows how to play the game. He's not a bumbling fool. But that's the thing is nobody. They don't even know the first thing about that, the people well, that's that a, they're defending. That's the thing. It, it's, you know, you, you, it's, and it's the reason why these statues were erected in the first place. They weren't erected to educate on the nuance of history or the total historical record. It's to propagate whoever erected it at the time, their narrow-minded view of what a Canadian ought to be, which is why you don't see too many modern-day statues being erected because I think right now the idea of Canadianism is being is very fluid. It's being redefined through immigration or reconciliation with the past and where we want to go in the future. That being said, like this is, you're right. It comes back to this has been turned into a rallying point for uh, racists and, and just people that I, I, I don't think any government wants to associate with. Like why, why would you just put yourself in a position where you, you are helping to defend these people and you can use the, Oh, you know, I, I I'll defend your right to, say what you want but but that's not what this is about this is you're taking the side uh, of racists in this argument and you, i think if you do that you really have to just double check yourself and it's a statue for crying out loud it's well, it, yeah. it's just yeah. a piece of metal like it it's you know let's 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 put it in context here it's just a statue and it's when you focus on mcdonald you miss the point still because it's a McDonald is a symbol of Canada in that point in its history and for about a hundred years afterwards and still continuing to this day in some regards as a product of British imperialism of uh, a, a, a mentality that said we as a nation and as a race have the right to go anywhere in the world and civilize it in heavily inverted commas. Uh, and whoever we find in that way better get out of the way um, because th they can't stand in the way of progress mm -hmm. as it was seen then. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it, it's it's the constant being dragged away in the wrong direction by these arguments of, of, Oh, what about John A, this guy? I don't know the first thing about, you know, we can't, we can't lose the history of someone I am completely ignorant of. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You know? Uh, but, and this ties into a horrendous incident yesterday in Hamilton, which already has a reputation as being one of the more, sadly, one of the more racist cities in Canada um, in, in terms of white supremacists and such, of, of a really uh, violent and, and dangerous um, uh, assault, uh, as it sounds, on, on, a, uh, on a Muslim uh, family in um, Ancaster, I believe. Uh, someone has been arrested, and of course it's before the courts now, so you know all the usual uh, things apply in terms of it being an alleged hate crime. Um, uh, 
but you know the the, the report certainly um, suggests it is worryingly similar in many regards to what happened in London, just without the same fatal uh, outcome. Uh, and and uh, it seems I, I took part in a, in a Zoom call um, a couple of days ago, or uh, something um, to do with street harassment um, of. Well, of women and uh, non-binary people and people of visible minorities. Uh, as usual, there's, there's really one type of person who isn't a potential victim of, of street harassment, and that's people who look like me. But anyway, but the point, one of the points raised during that was um, that all kinds of hateful abuse have increased dramatically during COVID. Uh, so racism, uh, violence against women... Um, that you know, the, what seemed like repeated verbal attacks on on Muslims, uh, people, uh, Asian uh, uh, from Asian backgrounds. Uh, I mean, I don't understand quite what it is about COVID that would that would make this happen, other than giving people more time to do horrible things. I don't know, but um, and I guess well, the, stress the, isn't much of an excuse. I don't the know. the issue with against Asian. Uh, uh, Canadians is the the fact that you know Wuhan China was the kind of ground zero for COVID, so it's you know it's what the ignorant do, right? Oh, I get to to go and attack Asian Canadians uh, because clearly you know cl- you know clearly they must be the the originators of COVID. They're the they're the the fault for all this when you know Asian Canadians have literally built this country from the railways up. Um, but you, you, I mean, to tie it into tie your 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 point that you're making into the the statute debate, you know, again, when you're allowing these statutes to become focal points for far right, racist, neo Nazi uh, defenders, um, it emboldens them. Like when 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 you sit there and you twiddle your thumbs, and you 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 they 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 see the fear in your eyes and i'm speaking to to city councilors across you know the 905 if you happen to be listening they see the fear in your eyes they see they see oh you're weak you think you think you're being strong you're thinking you're trying to find a compromise they say no you're you're weak on this you're you're somebody that i can exploit because you'll be so scared of losing image that you that you, you won't stand for anything you won't stand for those who have been marginalized the most throughout Canada's history. That would, that would include the indigenous people who were here first, immigrants, Asians, uh, uh, black Canadians, African Canadians, uh, you know, immigrants, uh, East Indian uh, uh, descendants, you know, all these people that now make up the fabric of our country, they all become targets of this. Like, it, the, the, we started, we've got to start taking on the walls like, oh, this is going to, this is, about First Nations, it is, but it's also about much more than that. And you can't like it's something on this. You can't, you can't wish willy wash. And you can't, there's no, there's no middle ground. Because if you give, if you give these people the middle ground, they will not only take it, they will ask for more. And we have to do a better job of educating the young. Um, I mean, this this hatred comes from one place, unfortunately. Uh, and again, it comes from. A place that looks like me, overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male, um, and I think there's 
I mean, it basically it's resentment of having been born into a position where things are easy and seeing a world where, where you have to compete the same as anybody else mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for whatever you get. Um, and not having that kind of, you know, having the ladder that you had that nobody else had taken away from you. Um, you know, and this is all about the ultimate objective is that everybody is treated equally and a lot of white people really, really hate that. Uh, and they may not think of it consciously like that, but they see things that they could do, um, whether it's the worst driving mi- a big SUV or it's whatever it is, you know. The, um, the worst I, mistake, the worst mistake that you can do if you're a white person is assume when somebody that everybody is equal because there's great inequalities uh, across this country, and when you go to when you go to try and equalize that, when you go and try to say, okay, how do we take away barriers? It's not about giving those who are removing the barriers for it. They're not getting, they're not getting placed further ahead on the starting line. They're being brought up to the starting line is what that's about. They're, they're being brought up to start at the same place that we did. And they have this. Then after that, once the gun is fired, they have the same opportunities as you and I and everyone else to get ahead in this country. And when that, and when they do get ahead, then it should be that we all get ahead. You know, where our, our economy is better. Our society is better. Our country is better. And, Sometimes you just sometimes to to help this country get ahead it means you might have to take down a statue. Well, let's move on to uh, uh, another important story, um, and uh, we've spoken a few times about the pointer, uh, pointer dot com uh, for anybody who's interested, which uh, covers news in uh, Brampton and Mississauga, uh, and some of the really good journalism they're doing that is almost unparalleled in in the 905 in terms of real quality journalism uh, and they they have very much been at the forefront of uncovering what appears likely to be a a, a major scandal at Brampton City Hall uh, under the mayorship of um Patrick Brown and the uh the city manager that he appointed uh, and everything that has come from that um including you know the firing of a whistleblower um the uh, alleged intervention of, of the mayor himself in that firing. Again, everything comes with an, with an alleged because it's you know these are all accusations that have been made. Um, but um, certainly, uh, someone who who raised serious questions about what was happening at City Hall was immediately fired, and that has led to an investigation being uh, put in place. But it was an investigation that that was um undermined by by the way in which it was um brought into being and undermined by given sort of 30 days to to investigate a, a very wide ranging uh, number of allegations that that were that were that have been made um and you know, as it's turned out that those 30 days aren't, aren't nearly enough to do the job that's required well, I, should, I should point out that the investigator that was hired to get to do the uh the the conduct which was uh, Deloitte, uh, which was Deloitte, uh, they themselves said we can't do that in this time frame. Uh, th- I thought the other th- interesting aspect was the fact that this the thirty days limit was brought in uh, through in camera uh, committee meetings. Like no, no nobody knows how this di- how this number got to where it was. Like well, well, that and that's you know that that's something we've another trend that we've noticed across the nine oh five. 
uh, over the past year is how many times city council, and I'm going to include also, uh, we've discovered school board, uh, meetings, uh, go into in camera meetings really and kind of like we want to save our own hide meetings, uh, as opposed to like the in camera meeting originally. I mean, the, the concept behind it was you're going to hire a high profile position, you know, like a city manager, chief accounting officer, uh, a, a director of education, that kind of thing. Somebody who's really high profile, lots of uh, a high salary attached to the to the position, lots of responsibility, responsible for millions, maybe even billions—not uh, billions, but millions of hundreds of millions of dollars in budget. Uh, you know how many jobs and careers are are under their responsibility. It, it's a these are big, uh, big jobs to fill. So I can understand you you get your applications, and your council or your board goes into in camera to have a free and open discussion on what do you think of this person? Did you like them? Did, you know, they have the right qualifications, but you know, I just, I, I think we're going to have a hard time working with them that, you know, they just seemed really aloof. I don't, I don't trust it. That kind of stuff. And you have those free conversations free from public scrutiny. That's kind of what, what it's there for. You know, those kind of discussions, they're not meant to, I, I don't, I want to be able to, I don't want to, I want to be able to say something that nobody can catch me, can call me on. Yeah. I mean, the, the municipal act allows in camera meetings for a very restricted range of things. So yeah, personally identifiable employment things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is, is uh, legal items that um, where speaking in public would literally prejudice a court case. Um, you know, the obvious example of that is very often, um, developments that are going to LPAT have to be dealt with it. I mean, we're seeing this all the time in Burlington at the moment, and they have no choice. Those have to be in camera because they're literally discussing things that if they were done in the open, the developer would then be able to use against the city. So, sure, you get that. Um, however, um, the extent to which in-camera meetings are used across uh, the GTA, again, Hamilton is, is one of the... Um, uses them at an astonishing rate um to 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 do so many things i mean uh, you know and that can be the thing is that you know the argument can be made say for example that um that anything to do with with salaries or, or compensation has to be in camera because well that's that's employment right and we said employment is is connected to people so that we no it's only if it's personally identifiable. A general discussion of salary is not something that should ever go into camera. Um, and the same goes for, you know, a sewage leak into a creek, say, for example, or yes. a dangerous road. Those are not things that need to be in camera or that should be in camera. And the thing is, again, there's no real appeals process for this, right? I mean, uh, certain uh, – there are a few people, like Joey Coleman, another friend of the podcast, is one of the few people who who have pursued these things because he's that determined and good for him. Um, but, you know, what what happens even if if you do win? Well, not very much. You know, these are the things where, where there should be a much more rigorous oversight of municipalities. Uh, you know, there needs to be a real – kind of referee with teeth if you like um who can quickly react to say no that shouldn't have been in camera release release whatever you did in that meeting mm-hmm. 
Um, so, you know, again, this is classically the, 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 a lot of the discussions. Um, you know, some of the counselors have basically said as openly as they are able, we don't think this should have been done in camera. Some of the discussions leading up to this investigation. However, the minute it's gone in camera, they can't now, uh, they, they can't even put their own point of view in that it shouldn't be in camera after it's gone into right. camera because they're then breaking the law. <laughs> so you get this crazy situation of someone kind of hinting strongly, uh, but not actually saying. Um, like, that, what, what strikes me is that, you know, we, we you know, I, I know we probably mentioned Ottawa at the start uh, of this podcast, but this might be a good way to, con- to kind of have a juxtaposition. If you look at in Ottawa, you have MPs who go into committee hearings to discuss uh, the affairs of the day, legislation, et cetera. Right now, the liberals are getting blasted because they're filibustering in the committee uh, requests for uh, uh, documentation and to have witnesses come before a committee, and they're they're filibustering it. We can debate the, the legitimacy of the filibuster on a different episode. Probably not going to do that. But my point being, this is all out in the public. We know what's going on. We know we can we can put names in that committee to who is doing what, who is saying what. This is all on the record. If in a in camera meeting, hypothetically, a counselor decides to use racist, derogatory, sexist terminology, if they just start, you know, bad mouthing and acting completely inappropriate in a professional setting, we don't know about that. Uh, the other counselors might know about that, but they can't say anything about it. They can't tell us about it. They can't do that because you're right. They break the law. And there's something, I think there's something very undemocratic about this tool that is understandably, it's meant for really specific uses being used in this way, which is clearly meant as a political tool to start covering people's butts uh, for a bad decision. I'm a big fan of, of comparing how different countries do the same thing. So this is another one of my examples from Britain. I'm not. I'm definitely not using it as an example of of good practice. I'm just using it as an example of how different things can be. So um, the uh, uh, the town of um, uh, Southend, I believe. Yes, yeah, Southend on Sea um, is just north of London in Essex. Uh, about the same size as Burlington, about 180,000 citizens or residents. Um, do you want to guess how many councillors they have? How many? So for context, Burlington has six councillors, one mayor. They have 37 councillors. <laughs> so well, the, 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 I think, I'm not saying that that's what we want necessarily. But- yeah. I think somewhere in the middle is the right balance. But the other thing is that the, the, you know, the completely different way they do things is that those councillors are aligned, well, about a third are independent, about a third, uh, about two thirds are aligned with uh, political mm-hmm. parties. But then you have a situation which is much more like the, the local council operates more like a government and that, you know, the in-crime meetings to an extent are brought about because that's the only time people can actually talk. Well, if you run a government, the cabinet doesn't publish its its discussions. Those are private discussions about what they want to do. They then have to get it passed in a vote, but the vote is public. So you know who's siding with, with what, right? Um, and it seems, again, that the, the, our, the way that we've created 
municipal government in Canada has an awful lot of shortcomings um, in terms of the weakness of the people that we elect compared with the um, the staff. And when we talk about in-camera meetings, it's not just the councillors who are the bad guys here. It very often is, is definitely beneficial to city staff to have something done in private rather than in public. And and those are tools that, that city managers or whoever, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in particular, the city managers, uh, uh, the, the, the city uh, uh, clerk, uh, people like that can, can basically use the procedures in their, in their own favor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and because we have this weak council system, um, that can all happen with, with very little oversight and with very little... Uh, uh, you know, very little recourse um, against whatever decisions are made. Uh, I think we just have to. You know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that we should tear up the book and, and start over, um, but there's something not right with the way our councils are working, um, uh, and, and it's you know it's well, certainly the, the 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 you know you know what percent- it requires the people to start paying closer to closer attention. Um, you know, one of the things we were hoping to do with this podcast is kind of broaden the debate instead of like the binary arguments of, you know, pro-development, anti-development, pro-transit, anti-transit, um, you know, just this pro and con and have a little bit more nuanced idea of how do we want our, our cities to grow, uh, which is, you know, we had on uh, Graham Crawford of I, uh, I elect Hamilton. I'm curious to see what what that or what that movement does in terms of a grassroots movement to to kind of reshape the how a city council functions to not only attract business but to develop and and promote you know a, a more sustainable uh, uh, city uh, because I mean what it comes down to it, I think it's just that we need we need better quality people quite frankly we just we need people who are who are ambitious and thinking ahead. Uh, with a little bit of humility to say, okay, yeah, I screwed up here. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I'm not th- th- I think that that mixture will go infinitely further in making our cities a better, better places to live. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, well, ranked ballots would have gone a long way. Um, I, th- I think a few more counselors, I think, I think we're, we are underrepresented, um, in Ontario, uh, and you know, you can say, "Well, oh, but you know, the cost, the cost, the cost." Well, the fact is, in Burlington, where they got rid of half their council a decade or so ago, you still spend the same amount because they just doubled the salary of the councillors they still have because they're working full time now. Councillors used to be, still is, in many cities considered a part time job. Um, so, um, I think I read that the councillors in London, Ontario, who are who seem to be quite often one of the, the, the again the first uh, uh, ranked ballot uh, city, and as it will turn out, the only ranked ballot city. <laughs> uh, sadly, um, has been really good. Those guys get paid 20, twelve uh, something like twelve thousand dollars a year to be basically full time employees of the city uh, as councillors. I mean, they you know, but they're paid a real pittance. As a result, they're going to lose some of their best I don't, I don't think that's an argument. I mean, we're talking these these cities have hundreds of millions of dollars in budget. We're not talking about you know gold plated helicopters flying counselors in from their wards 
to city council meetings, you pay pay them what they what they deserve. Councilors should be a full time job, right? Like if you look at the sun, sunshine list for any city, it's not the councilors who are taking up the bulk of the money. Um, I will leave it to others to go and look at the sunshine list for your city to find out who does take a lot of the money, um, and it's, it might surprise you who it is. <laughs> it ain't the city manager either, usually, although he'll be one of the higher he or she will be one of the higher paid people. Um, but well, anyway, I mean, certainly what's happening in Brampton is a really big deal. I mean, the accusations, and again, you know, um, uh, uh, the money that goes into uh, if you again, if you look at cities wasting money, look at some of the consulting firms they hire. For instance, uh, you know, uh, Brampton hired a company called the Means Company um, that was. Uh, personally known to Brown uh, through his time in the Conservative Party. Um, there was no, um, there was no bidding on it. It was, it was a, a non ten it wasn't tendered. Um, and they had no experience in the area that, that they were hired for and they were paid $300,000 compared to a, a councillor's salary. Um, that's small potatoes. So um, more democracy is never a bad thing. I, I think. Well, that's a good way to end off the, uh, the podcast so well let's call it a quits for uh for this day uh thank you everyone for listening we will be back on tuesday with another episode have a great day that's it for this episode of the 905er thank you for listening as always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. show called The Boiling Point with my co-host Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.